listening to the Rugby Coaches Corner podcast with your host, Andy Plymer. Bringing you up-to-date coaching concepts from the world of rugby. Sharing ideas to make the game better. Alright, welcome to episode number 72 of the Rugby Coaches Corner podcast. I'm your host Andy Plymer and joining me today is Gary Gold. Gary has extensive coaching experience heading up teams such as the London Irish, Western Province, Bath, the Sharks and the Worcester Warriors. From 2008 to 2011, Gary was the assistant coach for the Springboks and is now the head coach for the USA Eagles as they prepare for the Rugby World Cup. It's a pleasure to have him on the show, so welcome Gary. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for inviting me on your show. Yeah, no worries at all. Um, what's um, so obviously South African? Um, you know, born and bred with a rugby ball in your hand, no doubt. What What's a bit of a backstory <laughs> on your on your playing? Uh, that's probably the part of the the equation I I, I probably talk about the least. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, I grew up I grew up playing like like most uh, most other South Africans mm-hmm. um, back in the day. Um, Rugby, obviously, being such a important um, sport at school, so played played pretty much my whole school life, and then went to the army for a, for a, for a couple of years, where right. I learned what um, properly getting fit is about. Yeah, and, no uh, doubt. played played a rugby for the armed forces, and then and then played um, 13 years of club rugby in in, in and around the Cape Town area, and, yeah. and I thoroughly enjoyed it, and um, yeah, then made the move over to coaching um, yeah. after an injury, so. Yeah. So yeah, I mean it's pretty much been part of my life, my whole life, and mm-hmm. um, you know, just uh, very privileged to be able to do what I, what I love. Yeah, for sure. And what, reflecting back on some of those very first coaching experiences, what what were they like? What were some of the things that uh, that you you initially did, and that maybe you'd look back at now and say, oh, if I had my time back, I'd, I'd change this, this, and this. I think you'll. I think one who wants to continually learn as a coach, as, mm. a, as I think any coach should, whether you mm-hmm. whether you're 20 years old or you're 70 years old, I think there's always you know that that's probably one of the issues of of the job that we do is that you know the, the sport does change. We are in a, a sport that changes. Mm. It's 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 now just moved past being a teenager in in professional era, and I, I still think you know there's there's a long way to go before we're a truly go global brand, but yeah. you know, as those changes happen, you know, we learn more and more. So, I mean, I've I've constantly learned. I mean, I think I've always I've always taken something good and 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 probably bad out of every experience uh, mm-hmm. you know that I've done in in different places. But I, I never really ever want to um, get away from you know the gratitude aspect of how how blessed and lucky I am that you know I got the opportunity when I did. I I had a very good friend who I worked with at the time um, who, who who got an opportunity to go and be a player coach at London Irish and he was looking for an mm-hmm. assistant. You know, it, it, it was amazing that he, he offered me the position. So it was very daunting for me. And you know, I just, yeah. I literally just retired um, from playing at 30 years old. Um, I, I didn't actually have formal coaching experience, although I had done one or two courses. Um, and, you know, uh, Two year, or not even eighteen months after starting to coach my local club team in Cape Town, you know, I was a I was a professional coach, you mm-hmm. know, coaching in the Premiership in, in England, and 
it was daunting. I mean, I, 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 I genuinely remember players asking me questions that I didn't know the answer to. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and that's the truth. You know? yeah. And, and um, you know, I think looking back at that now, I mean, I think my saving grace is probably that I told the truth and I said, I don't yeah. know. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know the answer. Well, what do you think? And, um, but as time, you know, as time goes on, you know, you learn like, like you would in any industry and in any field and, you know, um, you know, feeling vulnerable is, is, uh, is, is a good thing. Mm-hmm. I think it can be a really good thing because it can, you know, it can drive you, you know, you, you know, you, you get a, you, you get a very small window of opportunity <laughs> in your life where people will be forgiving. But after a while, then, mm-hmm. you know, you, you, you've got to get up to, you've got to get up to, to, to speed and, um, that was certainly what what drove me in my early years, and you know, and then um, yeah, and then obviously from there got got a couple of opportunities, um, you know, to go back to Cape Town and catch yeah. my, you know, the province I grew up supporting my whole life, and I was there for five or six years, and that coincided with me also being able to coach the Springboks, which was a dream come true. So you know, as a again, still a relatively young coach, um, you know, here I was being an assistant coach of the national team, so. Um, yeah, I've, I'm. I'm just, you know, I, I still pinch myself 20 years later that I'm able to do what I do, and you know, now loving the experience here in the states. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, and and what about coaching in South Africa? How how's that different compared to elsewhere in the world? Um, from, from you've coached in the UK, a little bit in Japan, now in the US. What what stands out for you in South Africa about being being a provincial coach and a national coach? The agenda, the yeah. agenda. There's there, there's a there's a lot of off the field agenda mm-hmm. um, that takes place in, in South Africa. You know, being a, being a coach in South Africa, I would say, you know, you're spending, you know, if you're lucky, 50% of your time coaching, 50% of your time putting out fires and dealing with other issues. Mm-hmm. You know, that that need not necessarily be issues. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I'm 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 not saying South Africa is the only place that have got issues and yeah. that have got problems. I mean, the game is. It, it, it's it's going through a really tough time in Australia at the yeah, moment. Yeah. You know, the UK have been through their first share of problems, although Absolutely. they're a very, very well-run organization. The professional game there is very good. The French have got issues. I mean, yeah. obviously, we've got issues, and we, we, we're we a very um, – we, we're a, a younger younger rugby nation, not necessarily in years, but certainly in professionalism in the US. Mm-hmm. So everybody has, you know, different challenges. Yeah. Um, it's just in South Africa they – it, it's it's still a, a very big sport. It's it's under the microscope a, a lot more than um, possibly elsewhere. Yeah. Um, and you know the the desire and the hunger for South Africa to be you know the best in the world is 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 very real. And when you aren't the best in the world regularly, then the pressure's on. You know. Yeah. So um, with with the advent of social media as well, it's it's, <laughs> it's made this actual job of coaching a really difficult job because yeah. you're dealing with issues yeah, exactly. that. You know, coaches didn't deal with 30 years ago, 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. They dealt with the pressure. They felt the pressure. You know, they wanted to win rugby games, but you know, their lives weren't hung out in in the public as 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 um, as clearly as as our lives are now. So mm-hmm. you know, and that affects people in different ways. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. During your time with the Springboks, you were in the enviable position of beating the All Blacks three times. Um, what what are some of the things that, that have to go right for a team to beat um, the All Blacks on on any day? Well, um, in a, in a word, the cohesion. Yeah, um, it was something I think is um, personally for me 
the cohesion and the experience. I think personally for me, it's probably one of the most um, underestimated values in a successful professional sports organization, no matter what the sport is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so much so that you know, I've, I've actually, over the last number of years, started working with a company in Australia who measure cohesion. Yeah. And, Darwin, you know, we just right? had a group of yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. You know, the Gain Line guys. Yeah, you know, we they, had him on the show. They did, great. They're doing some amazing mm-hmm. stuff. They really are. And, um, you know, I had a very short consultancy time at Worcester Warriors and trying to help them uh, a year, two years ago when they were having a tough season and trying to avoid relegation. And, you know, just applying those principles in a very short period of time mm-hmm. is remarkable and, and, and very clear to see the, the, uh, the, the, the benefits of, of being cohesive. And so, so, I mean, from a Springboks point of view, um, again, we must be gracious and understand what kind of a team we inherited. I mean, we inherited the 2007 uh, Rugby World Cup yeah. winning team. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of players went off to, you know, greener pastures for six to 12 months. And, you know, fair play to Peter de Villiers, who was the coach, who was our coach at the time. And he got on a plane and, and went to get them back, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the, the experience that they went through in 2007, uh, most of, a handful of them were away in 2008. And, you know, we, we struggled through that year. And then towards the end of that year, when Peter got them back, there was a big incentive that we had, you know, the very unique opportunity to play the British and Irish Lions in 2009. Yeah, right. so there was a huge incentive for a lot Absolutely. of the World Cup winning guys to come back mm-hmm. and play. And, you know, getting them back in and getting them back onto the program and, you know, buying into to doing what they did really, really well was just, I almost feel a little bit embarrassed at times because um, you didn't need to coach them very much. I mean, <laughs> they were just such a strong group of players, yeah. such a fantastic leadership group throughout the, that, that group of players. And, you know, when, when I saw how we, I mean, we ended 2008 with um, beating New Zealand in Dunedin, mm-hmm. uh, which was fantastic yeah, experience very, to very be rare. part of. But, yeah you didn't want that to be a flash in the pan and a one-off. And, mm. and when we started the 2009, we had a very good end of the year tour to England where we, we, we England, um, Wales and Scotland, where we won those three test matches and mm. beat England convincingly 42-6 at Twickenham. And, and you just, you just got a sense that something special was happening with this team. And then obviously mm. in 2009, when the Lions came, you know, what an epic series it was. And Absolutely. You know, uh, it was always going to be really close and for us to put that, just gave us the confidence to go into that Tri-Nations that year. And, and that was the year that we beat the All Blacks three times and, and, and won in, in Hamilton to win the Tri-Nations. So mm-hmm. it was, it was a, just an incredible era, really just a, a wonderful era. Um, it was going to take a long time for, for a team anywhere in the world to really be as, as, as good and as, and as unique as that, um, as that mm-hmm. crop of players were initially under Jake for that 2007 World Cup and then mm-hmm. under Peter leading into the 2011 World Cup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great. Okay, and now you're now you're in the US. Um, what, what, when you first arrived to the US, and you know we're getting a, a lay of the land. What were some of your first observations of of rugby in the United States? Look, it was vast. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, obviously that's the thing that you know it's a a kid coming out of South Africa where a two hour flight takes you from one end of the country to the other. Mm-hmm. You know, a two hour flight hardly takes you down the road here now. So <laughs> it's uh, it, it, it's. It's it's daunting. It's it's daunting because there's a there's an immense love for the game here, yeah. um, which is visible everywhere you go. But because it's so sparse, it's 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 little patches of of the game all over the country, and uh, you almost wish in a way you could bottle that and you know have all 
all of the rugby playing people, you know, under the same umbrella, but it's just not the case. And it's, mm. it's, it's different challenges. It's, it's different challenges. It's, it's in many ways, tougher challenges, but it's, mm. they're exciting challenges. You know, they, they really, really are. I mean, um, just blown away by how the American people just seem to love the game. Yeah. Um, you know, they're not coming out in their fifties and sixties and seventy thousands yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, I think with the, the work that, um, Mike Friday and the guys are doing for the Sevens program. Uh, but how they're putting Sevens program on the map this afternoon. We're going down the road to watch our women's 15 take on the Jenny and Barbarians, which is going to be historic. You know, uh, the Sevens women were, were doing really well the other day in, mm-hmm. in the HSBC competition. Uh, you know, we've, we've done relatively well last year um, in, a, in a couple of big wins. So, uh, the game is gaining momentum, no question of a doubt about it, and it's an exciting time to be here. It's an exciting time. Yeah, and that's probably a good good chance now to talk about um, MLR. Um, that that's been huge for for United States rugby. Uh, in you know, it's it's just wrapping up its second season. What what have your initial observations been of the MLR, and and how important is that that competition in terms of the national selection pathway? Well, it's critical. Yeah, it's absolutely critical. I mean. I, 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 I genuinely can say to you, I have no idea how I would be able to do this job if there wasn't an institution like the MLR mm-hmm. around. Mm-hmm. I mean, I thought the MLR was pretty good last year. Yeah. Um, I didn't think it could be so much more improved within the space of a year. And, and I think, I think you know, it will plateau in a few years' time, but I think you'll see it exponentially grow again next year and the yeah. following year. And I think when they settle on... on on the format eventually, and they, you know, they've announced how the format's going to be next year, which is mm-hmm. in the East and Western Conference. That's right. Yeah. Um, and I think that, you know, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's a well thought out um, competition, and it's an exciting competition for our players to play in. You know, yeah. and it's getting competitive. It's getting really competitive. You know, the top teams mm-hmm. are, you know, are going for each other, hammer and tongs, and it's, um, and and it's 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 regular rugby. And I explained to somebody the other day as well. You know, it's, it's not so much about Although watching the game on a Saturday or Friday is, is awesome, and you know, from my, my selfish point of view, to watch national players playing rugby week in and week out is wonderful. But the real benefit has come in the fact that you've got guys who are now committing to being professional rugby players. Yeah, they're not earning a huge amount of money, but they're going to training every day. Mm-hmm. And I don't think you can underestimate how important that is. You know, whether it's their strength and conditioning programs that they're looking at, or their nutrition or their rugby, or their skill sets, or the developing of their skill sets that they're doing on a daily basis, you know, that is that is fast-tracking rugby players, which, mm. you know, without a, a professional league in the country, or certainly not a sustainable one, was something that was difficult, you know. So mm. to have this now, and, and, and for next year, the calendar is going to be a, a, a really full six months of week-in and week-out rugby, nearly 20 rounds of rugby next mm. year. It's just going to be fantastic. It's yeah. just going to it's just going to make a world of difference for you know for for the national team. And you know right now it's um, you know I hope you know we're going to be able to go to this Rugby World Cup and be competitive and mm-hmm. uh, put our hand up and maybe well just just make our supporters really really proud. But yeah. the expectations are, are realistic, you know. Um, but the, the exciting part is you know how we can grow as a group and alongside hand in hand with the MLR and where we can be in 2023 as a group mm-hmm. um, is, is really exciting. And, you know, if you, if you graph the progress, for example, of what Mike Friday has done with the sevens group, 
over the period of time since Mike's been in the group. You know, if we could go on a similar trajectory, you know, it's an amazing where we can be in four years' yeah, time. Absolutely, could be really exciting. Yeah, no. For for the longest time, people have been talking about the US being the sleeping giant in rugby, and I think MLR is a, a really good step to try and capitalise on like what what could potentially be a, an absolutely massive playing pool. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But yeah, I mean, I'm I'm never really been sure about the whole sleeping giant thing, but. <laughs> It's just, it's just, it's just important that there, there is a plan in place and that there is a pathway, and that you know, young guys who have an aspiration to one day want to play the game professionally, you know, have have um, that opportunity. Whether it's through the university system, mm-hmm. which is pretty darn good here, yeah, and and you go and get your education and you belong to a life or a Cal or a, a St Mary's or whoever the universities are. There's so many universities that are playing. You go and, and be a part of that, or if you if you choose to go to an academy at one of the MLR clubs and you know put your hand up and, and make your way in that way. So mm-hmm. um, it's just exciting that there are um, there are more and more opportunities for young guys who want to make rugby a career. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Okay, and what what about the Eagles? What's what's the preparation look like from now until uh, you and the team get on the plane to Japan? How, how's that kind of going to be mapped out over the next few months? I mean, it's pretty intensive. Mm-hmm. It's pretty intensive. I mean, um, I know the expectations are not that high around us as a team, and understandably so. But mm-hmm. you know, from our personal point of view, in terms of the path we've walked in the last two years, as I said earlier, we really want to go there. And, you know, we don't want to make up the numbers. Yeah. We want to be a tier. You know, we are a tier two team at this moment in time. We want to go there and put up our hand and 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 put up a proper showing. And and uh, you know, and if we perform really really well and and we work incredibly hard you know for, for 80 minutes of every game we play then you know funnier things have happened mm-hmm. so we, we're quite excited about that um we've, we've got an intensive period coming up we've got a we've got a we after the mlr we'll give the guys one or two weeks break so all our guys are currently finishing either finishing the season in europe or they're finishing mm-hmm. the season at mlr that'll come to a close in, in about june the beginning of june end of may and then we get together later in june um and we've got a we've got a pretty intense program leading into the beginning of the Pacific Nations Cup competition where we play okay, three games, yeah. um, and that is going to be against Canada, um, Japan, and Fiji. So there's going to be some really really tough games there. Yeah. Um, and then uh, pretty soon after that we're on the plane to Japan. So yeah, yeah we've got a couple of other things planned uh, you know, up our sleeve in terms of the preparation and what we're going to be able to do between now and then, but. You know, then we get to Japan and uh, you know, hopefully have a have a pretty good month or six weeks there, if possible. Yeah, yeah. And so, what what would be you know you, you've you've done a rugby or cup with the Springboks and you're about to do one with the US. What would be some some similarities and some and some differences of of those two different types of preparations that you go into? Well, I think the obvious one is that you know, when we went there with the Springboks, particularly that team, we were mm. we were joint, if not favourites, joint favourites along the All Blacks and a couple of other teams. I mean, genuine, genuine contenders. Um, I, I, I say this with no disrespect, but I don't, you know, I don't think anybody would anticipate us being contenders. So, mm-hmm. you know, from that point of view, it, it, it's going to help us with our process because it's going to, you know, if there's no rhyme or reason at all that it should block our our ability to, to prepare properly and not feel those... Um, 
you know, those pressures of, of, of having a nation, having this ridiculous expectation that you're going to have to win every single game when you play. Mm-hmm. It's just the nature of this group of players, though, is that, you know, they're a very competitive group of players. Yeah. You know, and there's a huge amount of pride in putting on the U.S. jersey, as I appreciate there must be for all the other countries that you play for. But, mm-hmm. you know, this is a, a proud sporting nation. And, you know, they want to go to the World Cup and they want to put up a good show. So um, the interesting thing is that it's... It, it's uh, it's a uh, it's a gratifying feeling to know that actually the pressures that we have on ourselves are are, are pressures we put on ourselves. Yeah. Uh, you know, they're not external pressures. You know, mm-hmm. they're not ridiculous expectations, but they are ridiculous expectations within the camp. So, um, yeah, you know, we we uh, we think that we can be competitive. You know, even though we are in a in an unbelievably difficult group. I mean, mm-hmm. I think we're excited about that. Yeah. You know, I, I'm not sure if we wanted any easy rides, and I'm not sure it's going to help us in improving if we have easy rides. So uh, yeah. it's a it's a hell of a tough pool. It's definitely the toughest pool in the competition, and mm. and therein lies an opportunity because you know whilst um, you know whilst other teams might be you know preparing to take on the big big guns in in our pool, you know hopefully the Tongas and the USA's of the world can can also can create a couple of upsets along the way. Yeah, yeah, and I, th- I think that's. That could be pretty liberating too, just having that mindset going in. And you know, we all remember last World Cup uh, with with Japan over South Africa, and even even you know, you get France on a on a day when they're like you say, not maybe focusing on you guys too much. Uh, any anything could happen there. Exactly, mm. exactly. I mean, the, the the key thing though, really, is, is not to have to rely on other people messing mm-hmm. up. You know, yeah, that your yeah. preparation is as solid and as secure as you possibly can can be so that, you know, if that opportunity does arrive, arise, you are prepared for it. But, mm. you know, that's sort of something we can't control. We don't know that. Um, I think um, certainly with teams like England and Argentina, um, I can't possibly see them, you know, taking a- anybody in the pool um, lightly. No. And, yeah. But, you know, there is a, there is a, an expectation and, you know, maybe some people won't want to talk about it, but there is a, there is a expectation that all the other teams in the pool should be getting five points against us mm-hmm. um, and Tonga. And, you know, when that bar is set that high and um, 60 minutes into the game, it's not going so well. And pressure is a funny thing, you know, mm-hmm. pressure is a funny thing. So, you know, it's, it's, it's our job not only to go there, have a wonderful time, um, enjoy and lap up what it feels like to be part of a, such an amazing event, but also to make sure that, you know, we're the best prepared we possibly can that if you know if we exert that pressure and the opposition struggle under that pressure, that we that we um, that we're ready to you know to exploit that situation and you know that's what you know if if the team is well enough coached and they're well enough prepared and the leadership group is 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 on song then then I think that can happen and that that really is the beauty I mean we talk so much about it in so many different aspects and mm-hmm. if we're talking to uh, the business world as rugby coaches or we sharing it with you know, with other sporting codes, that is the uniqueness of rugby. The uniqueness with rugby is that it's not just about the skill level of the players. It's about the mindset and the attitude and the intensity and the physicality that we pitch up with. And the beauty with rugby is anybody can pretty much beat anybody on any given day. Yeah. That's the beauty. It doesn't happen often, mm-hmm. but it can happen because it's it's just 15, 15 people against 15 people on any day. So... So I'm excited about you know the the, the lead up. We've we've got an, an eight to nine week lead up, so we'll be together for a substantial period of oh, that's time. That's great. Um, 
you know, and, and um, our focus is a pretty simple focus, really. I mean, we're focusing on going there and being as fit, if not fitter, than the teams in our pool. Mm-hmm. And we know that's going to be a huge challenge because that's something we can control. Um, and then we're going to, you know, we're going to go and have some fun. We're going to go play, you know, play some pretty simple and effective rugby. We're going to play to our strengths and see what happens from there. Yeah, cool. And will, will you have specific KPIs that you're trying to, trying to achieve in, in each game? Or is it, is it a bit more of a holistic approach that you'll be looking at? No, there will be KPIs. Yeah. I mean, there will. Be, there's no question of a doubt about mm-hmm. that. There, you know, there's 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 certain things over the last year to eighteen months that we think we've done well, and when we do that well, it gives us a better chance to be successful. Yeah. And there's things that we feel and we've we found that when we delve into them, and we try and play a type of brand in that way, that we fall short. And we, mm-hmm. you know, to be blunt, we're not good enough at it. Mm-hmm. So. You know, from our point of view, the KPIs, I think we have to have the KPIs. We have, yeah. you know, there's areas of our game and we, we're not in England. We, you know, I can't look at our team and say that we are absolutely laden with strengths in every corner of, of our team yet. But we do have areas where we are pretty good at, you know. 2018, for example, you know, we had a very, very successful, successfully functioning lineout. A lineout. Yeah against everybody, against, mm. you know, you know, in terms of clean ball and deliverables and set piece and, you know, more tries are scored of lineup than any other starter player. So yeah. Yeah. if we're just getting that small piece of the foundation right, at least we're giving ourselves a chance. Absolutely. You know, um, but I think if we delve into areas where um, I use the cliche because it's an easy cliche to use, if, if we think we can play like the All Blacks right now, we can't. We're not good enough yet. Um, and and that's the issue, you know, and that's, that's, you know, I suppose it's part of the planning and the process. It's part of the intelligence as a coaching group, group that we share with the players and, you know, and just try, try and play towards our strengths. So there will be KPIs around yeah. those things that we think we do well. And if we, you know, if we just, you know, stay, stay focusing on those areas, you know, for as much of the game as possible, then, um, then, then I think we'll do quite well. Awesome. Okay, cool. Just moving on now, just you as a coach, what, what's part of, what's your favorite part of the game for you to coach specifically? And if, it, if someone was watching you coach, say, a you know, 20-minute session on a particular area, what, what, what are they going to see? What are they going to hear? I mean, the first thing I suppose to touch on is, you know, is, is that there's, there's got to be a massive love for the game. I think, yeah. um, I, I think whilst I'm sure generally in life being obsessed with something probably isn't a good thing. <laughs> I think having a level of obsession for yeah. your job or your, your passion or your life, or, mm-hmm. you know, in this case, you know, what, what, for me, what pays the bills, but, but it doesn't really matter that it pays the bill because I'm, you know, when you love it so much, then, you know, I think there needs to be a level of obsession. Absolutely. I think yeah. um, I'd like to believe that you'd see that, you know, within the delivery of the session that I'm giving you a mm-hmm. huge amount of passion and, um, again, I, I do believe you can only play as well as you coached or you are conditioned to, 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 to train at. And so, you know, training for me needs to have a, a very high level of, of, of intensity if you anticipate to take that into the game. So, and, uh, you know, as we know, <laughs> habits are, are, are something that are created. So if you create good habits week, week in, day in and day out of training, week in and week out, you know, then you give yourself a better chance to play. So that's what you've probably seen in a 20 minute session. Um, but I think from a philosophy point of view, for me, it's amazing to win. I love winning. Um, I probably, 
I, I think I probably hate losing more than I love winning. I know that's <laughs> a difficult thing to get your head around, but I, 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 I absolutely genuinely uh, more than any of that, because you are going to lose. And I know that that's a given and you're going to have very, very tough times and that's a given. And, um, you, you know, the reality that you're going to be a coach, even, even if you're the most world-class perceived coach in the world, you're going to lose and you're going to lose at big times and, and big moments. And, for me, the part that excites me the most is is when you look through the wood through the trees, almost as they say, mm. and when you see a player playing to his potential and and playing so well and getting recognition, whether it's at his club or whether it's whether he gets called up to play for his country, mm-hmm. you know, that for me is the most satisfying. Yeah. You know, yeah. because you know within the, the the game that we play at the moment, it is such a metaphor for life. You know, yeah. I mean. It, there's so many tough days. I mean, it, you know, you can play brilliantly one weekend and you're going to have to go through the same process and get back up and get out again. And someone else is going to come and try and smash you a week later. Mm-hmm. You know? And, you know, it, the more you get to the top of the tree, the more people want to see you knocked down, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, you know, when you see a player realize his potential and you see him almost um, wide out because even he didn't think he could reach it um, just because of the, the bravery and the courage that he's shown mm. to whether it's work harder in his fitness or change his lifestyle or work harder at a skill set. And then you see them achieve their goal and the satisfaction it gives them and the recognition they get in their life. You know, many, many, many times, not often, not all the time, but many times, you know, it's guys who haven't achieved stuff in other things, you know, yeah. they maybe academically weren't the smartest kids at school or, you know, uh, got teased because he's a little bit overweight or he's taller than other guys or he had bad skin or whatever the case may be. And, you know, this is, you know, when, when you see somebody realize that all of a sudden they, they've earned respect in other people's eyes because they've gone out there in what we know is a really tough sport and they've yeah. excelled is it's hugely gratifying, massively gratifying. Yeah, that's a big, big part of why we do it for sure, no doubt. And you can get that in, in, you know, the professional setting, no doubt, and also in the amateur setting as well. I think uh, that's, that's a really important part around coaching, that, that what you can do for your, for your athletes. Yeah, I think it's everything. I mean, at the end, uh, you know, just to finish off on that point, mm-hmm. I, I do think that, I mean, if, if one is going to get into coaching, you're going to do it for your own satisfaction. Mm-hmm. I don't doubt that. But if you're doing it for your own self-promotion, mm. you, it's going to be a problem. I think you're going to really struggle in the long run. If you do it because you genuinely, you want to make it a difference in someone's life and, and, in, and rugby is the type of sport that can, uh, I mean, if you, if you can transform an individual from a pretty average rugby player into a great rugby player or from a poor rugby player into an above average rugby player mm. and they get that sense, that's going to live with them for the rest of their life. Yeah. You know, they're going to, they're going to apply that same, methodology to when one day they finish playing rugby and life is tough and you know money is scarce and work is difficult you know they'll apply that same methodology because they've been through it before yeah so i mean it's almost it's it's almost like the satisfaction that a teacher gets yeah you know and how critically important they are to society you know and teachers and doctors and nurses and yet they don't necessarily get that rewarded and i don't think they do it for their i'm sure they don't do it for their own gratification they do it for the gratification that they get from seeing people succeed and you know that's the same for me with coaching you know that's you know if i feel that i'm not making the players better i'm more concerned about that whether then whether we're winning or losing because often i've been in a situation where we're winning and i don't think the players are getting better you know and i'm not sure it's just you know they might just be better players so
Yeah. Okay, great. Well, we, we always end the show with the same final four questions. When you were when you were a young guy growing up in South Africa, who was one of the players that you really looked up to and, and idolized in in the game? I think Monet Duplessis. Yeah. He was a you know, he was a a guy who lived in Cape Town. Um he he knew my folks through uh through the business that we had. He was a sales rep for for one of the big brands and you know, I just Monet's, I think he's, I don't want to talk out of turn now, I think he's a man maybe nearing 70 now, mm-hmm. certainly in his mid-60s, and, you know, he's still a very graceful, humble man, and he was exactly the same when he was the captain of South Africa in the 1980s. So, I mean, he, he's just he's just an icon for me. He was a fantastic player. Um, you know, maybe not necessarily the best player in his position, but he certainly was the hardest working and yeah. a brilliant leader, and, you know... And I looked up to him a lot, you know. I mean, he inspired me a lot in a lot of things that he did. And, you know, I'm I'm very proud to say that in today's day and age, he's, you know, he's he's a good acquaintance, you know. Uh, I see him around in Cape Town regularly and, you know, I'll never, uh, I'll never forget those fond memories I have of him. Yeah, oh, that's great. Awesome. And second question, what what about now? Who are some of the players on the international stage that you, when they get the ball, you you kind of get out of your chair and you're, you're getting excited? Oh, there's becoming so many more now. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, so, so many more. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I love watching, uh, even fifty, well, fifteens as well. I love, I love Fiji. Yeah. Um, you know, I just think they're, they're firstly they're fantastic people. Mm-hmm. I love them. You know how they live their life. And yeah. You just, just get a sense that when you're watching them play fifteens, you're watching them play sevens. You know, they're just enjoying themselves. You know, they 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 express themselves. They try things. Um, you know, they're not stupid with it as well. You yeah. know, they calculate it. They they work it. So they're exciting. I mean, they're an exciting team to to watch. I think they're a they're a, a real. They could be a thorn in a lot of people's sides at this rugby world oh, cup. Yeah. They're a very yeah. good fifteens team. They're very underrated. Mm-hmm. So I love watching them. I mean, individuals wise and. You know, I love watching a guy like Kiri Reed go to work. Yeah. Um, I think he's tireless in what he does. I used to enjoy watching Richie McCall. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I love watching a, a very good halfback pairing run a, run a game. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Connor Murray and Johnny Sexton. Yeah. Are, you know, yeah. you know they're they're a joy to watch when you see them pulling the strings. When mm-hmm. Owen Farrell plays well, he's 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 a joy to watch as well. Um, Bowden Barrett is, you just look at the slightness of the guy and you think, how on earth is this guy the best player in the world at a stage, <laughs> you know, and, and he is, yeah. you know, and he just, he just doesn't make mistakes, you know, and it's like watching a genius at work and, um, you know, you know, watching, you know, watching a midfield pairing, um, evaluating the defenses in front of them and making split minute, split second decisions mm. in terms of where to run a short line or get the ball out the back or, you know, watching a playmaker take the ball to the line and and you can just see his mind's going at 100 miles an hour because he's trying to evaluate the shoulders of the defender mm-hmm. and he wants to make the right decision. You know, those are, you know, those are the joys of the, the nuances of the game that I love watching, you know. And, you know, and, and I, there's nothing, <laughs> it's maybe a bit sad and indictment of my life, but there's nothing <laughs> more exciting than watching a well-constructed try, you know, <laughs> outwit and, and beat a defense. And yeah. you look at it and the defenders haven't actually done anything wrong. Yeah. They haven't yeah. actually done anything wrong. You know, the, these guys have literally, you know, they've, they've, they've done a fantastic job in, in literally breaking the defense down. And it's, it's a little bit like watching chess on steroids, I suppose. You know, it's, uh, it's exciting. Yeah. Great. Awesome. Okay. Third question. Um, who, who's one, who's a, 
high profile coach that you you like catching up with and like what they're doing in terms of how they're running their teams and things like that? Um, you know, I've been pretty but I mean, he's become a very good friend over a number of years, but, you know, I, I really enjoy my time with Wayne Smith. Um, yeah, he's now coaching right. the club that I used to be at in mm-hmm. Uh He was the assistant coach while I was assistant coach at Spurs for four years. Um, we first coached against each other back in 2001 when he was coaching Northampton, I was coaching London Irish. And, yeah. You know, they had 13 internationals in the Northampton team and we played them in the, in the cup final with Tottenham. That's right. And yeah. we ended up you know, we ended up winning that game and, and ever since then, you know, I've had a I mean, he was so gracious in victory and unbelievably humble in defeat and he's just I think he's a genius uh, of a coach and he's a fantastic man and he's a good friend and I uh, I just feel like I'm going to university every time I go and you know, have dinner with him or catch up on coffee and I don't do it regularly enough, but I mean he's 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 fantastic. I mean I, I couldn't be happier that he's gone to probably cover. I've got such fond memories of him. You know, uh, the year I was there, we, we were very lucky to top the league, but we lost some playoffs. Mm-hmm. And last year, you know, they went one further and they, they, they won the whole competition. So it's just brilliant. It's just brilliant. I mean, such a great bunch of people at that club. So I think to get a guy like Wayne is, is, is fantastic. And I really enjoy Rusty Rasmus. Yeah. Um, I worked with Rusty for a number of years now. Yeah. He's, a, he's a very, very smart coach. He's a great mm-hmm. guy. Um, got the balance right. Was an outstanding player, but... You know, not every outstanding player has gone on to, to be able to be a good coach. And yeah. I think Russ is an outstanding coach. I think he's going to, I think South Africa could be a real wild card at, at the Rugby World Cup. And then, mm-hmm. you know, then I've, spent, and I've, I've just been very lucky to spend time with a lot of, you know, very good people. I mean, Brendan Fenton was the guy I was talking about earlier, who yeah. didn't in Irish. Mm-hmm. Not only will I never, ever, you know, take for granted what he's done for me. You know, we're still in touch regularly, um, and I hear from him, and, you know, we shoot the breeze in rugby, and he's got a brilliant rugby brain, and uh, it's just, it's fun to spend time, you know, start time with people like that, you know, they're just inspiring, and, uh, you know, wanting to get better, and, and, and learning all the time. Yeah, great. All right, and final question, what what about uh, in your day-to-day coaching, who are some of the coaches around you that, uh, that you like what they're doing, and uh, deserve some recognition? It's very difficult to ignore the work that like the Joe Schmidt has done with Ireland and I think the Irish model is is just superb mm-hmm. um, as, a, as a model it's it's just worth I mean uh, my very first game we played against the Irish Promise back in 2000 when we went to the pre-season tour and played Munster down in, in Thurman, um, Thurman Park down in uh, no it wasn't Thurman Park it was Musgrave all the way down in, in Sale and you know they were chipping putting Irish rugby were chipping and putting their way through you know, they weren't a top five team and, mm. you know, you just saw how they put this plan together and backed the provinces and backed players and, and, you know, they're a fantastic model. And I think Joe's come in and he's added that extra impetus. I mean, you know, Gats has been amazing with Wales over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, unbeknown, I mean, at one stage in the earlier days, I mean, Gats had gone for like 27 games against the Southern Hemisphere team and they had won one. Yeah. You know, and he's he's also turned Wales on its head. You know, now they want a whole yeah. lot of grand slams, and you know, now they're genuine contenders in what they're doing. Obviously, you know, Eddie's an enigma. Um, he's a he's a brilliant coach, mm-hmm. and he makes a difference wherever he goes. Yeah. Um, of, you know, the obvious one was the effect. I was in Japan when he was there, and yeah. he was brilliant for the the change of, of of 
the advent of the game. I mean, if they could knight him, they should knight him in Japan because <laughs> he's single-handedly put rugby on the map in Japan. Yeah, great. Um, and I think he's, I think he's brought a real edge to England. You know? And uh, again, I've mentioned Rossi already. I mean, I think Rossi's, um, you know, I use the word very lightly, but I think he's a genius um, when it comes to that. So um, he he's got a much tougher job on his hands than almost any other international coach. So I mean, I think he's doing fantastic work and. And then just a guy like Rob Baxter down at Exeter, you know, I yeah. think uh, massive credits to the management and the ownership of that organization, that club for the way they've gone about their methodology of running that as a business. Mm-hmm. And, you know, win, lose or draw, they were always going to back Rob. Mm-hmm. But the funnier thing, again, you know, going back to cohesion and looking at how to run a business, if you want to be a successful sports organization, you know, but, but you know, Rob has de- delivered year in and year out. And, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're actually not from 1 through 15. They're not necessarily the most star-studded team on, yeah. on the field. You know, they don't have ridiculously high-paid superstar status guys. They've got very good rugby players. Mm. But as a collective and as a unit, I mean, what he's got been doing is nothing short of sensational, you know. And I, I think pound for pound, like if you were to do a due diligence in terms of efficiency, I'd probably say they're the best rugby team in the world, pound for pound, if right. you think about it. Like wow. earnings, cool. per, earnings per player, um, you know, Sarries are very, very good, and, you know, and Northampton are coming good under Chris Boyd. But I think pound for pound, you know, if you have a look at how much they're paying their players and the loyalty aspect and the length of time that the players have been at the club and the success that they've achieved in a relatively short space of time. I mean, it was felt like yesterday that they were a championship team and never, ever looked like they were going to be playing in the premiership. And now they... You know, they're English champions on a number of occasions. Yeah, that's oh, yeah, it's, it's fascinating. Really interesting. All right, Gary, well, really appreciate you giving up your, your time from what no doubt is a really busy schedule uh, preparing the Eagles for, for the upcoming Rugby World Cup. Uh, I think listeners would have got a, a huge amount out of this one. And uh, yeah, I just want to say thank you and appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you very much for having me. It's been fun. No worries. Cheers. for listening to the Rugby Coaches Corner podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review via iTunes and keep listening for the next episode. You can also follow us via Twitter at RugbyCoachesCNR or via the website therugbycoachescorner.com. Until next time, keep sharing ideas to make the game better.